Our scripture you will find this morning in the Gospel according to Luke chapter 6. I will read the verses 12 through 26. And then we'll also read from Matthew 5, the first three verses. First of all, then, I will read from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 6, being at verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when a day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So far, the reading of God's holy word from that chapter, and then we turn to Matthew 5. Now we'll read the first three verses there. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our text for this morning you will find in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to listen this morning to the first of the Beatitudes as recorded by Matthew. 
people who know anything at all about the Bible know the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel account. There's a good possibility that many of them, as indeed many of us, have at one time or another memorized the words of our text. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And no doubt, words that are so very familiar to us have also taken on a certain meaning for us. We have some idea about what it is they say. Even so, most people find it difficult to say in a few words just what it is they hear Jesus say in this first beatitude, which he spoke to the crowd that had gathered on the mount to hear him speak. What really did Jesus say? What did he mean? And what does that mean for us today? You know, of course, that the Bible must always be read in context. That's why it is important when reading a passage of Scripture to remember such questions as, when was this spoken and to whom was this word addressed? So I'd like to look with you at those two questions first of all. I believe that that will help us to get at, to understand the first beatitude so much the better, as indeed the rest of the beatitudes. As we know, the beatitudes are part of, uh, of what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And that's indeed the idea you get when you read the opening words of chapter 5 of Matthew. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came up to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. The way Matthew writes that, you get the idea that Jesus had indeed specifically climbed up on the mountain in order that he might preach the, to the crowds from there. Well now, the mountain in question is something like Hamilton's mountain, not at all like a Mount Everest, you understand. You see, the land slowly rises from the Sea of Galilee to a high plateau uh, from which it rises some more. This was a wild, a desolate country at that time. It was a place to which Jesus retreated more often for private prayer, for personal fellowship with God. Luke, who wrote about this same event, says that Jesus went out to the mountain. Luke goes on to tell us that Jesus went there to do two very important things before he spoke the Sermon on the Mount. He specifically tells us that Jesus continued all night in prayer to God before he preached this sermon. That first of all. In other words, Jesus had spent a whole night in fellowship with his Father in heaven. And secondly, Jesus had appointed 12 of his followers to be his disciples, who, minus one, would eventually become his apostles. Well, now, 
It's important to keep that clearly in mind. You see, by the time Jesus preached this sermon, a number of things had already happened in and to the ministry of Jesus. Not only had his fame spread throughout the land by this time, but also, as becomes very clear from the sermon itself, the break between Jesus and the Pharisees had already taken place. You see, the word, as preached by Jesus, were not at all like the teaching of the Pharisees. As a matter of fact, it was evident to all that Jesus had taken a sharp, a clear position against the Pharisees and against the teaching of the Pharisees. And the, and the people, oh yes, the people loved it. The crowds, the multitudes were still responding very positively to Jesus' words, to his teaching. They heard him gladly, it says. They sensed it. Jesus spoke with authority and not like the Pharisees. As you know, that response of the crowds would eventually also change. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, you read that the crowds began to leave Jesus. You see, when Jesus began to speak of his suffering and death, see, then the crowds also turned their backs on him. That's when Jesus asked his disciples, remember, whether they too were going to leave him. Well, that tells us that Jesus preached his sermon on the mount after the break with the Pharisees, but before the conflict with the multitudes broke loose. You could say, moreover, that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount gives, in summary statement, the gospel of the kingdom as he had been preaching it. It is therefore also a summary of the gospel that was to be preached by the twelve disciples whom he had just appointed. And so also, it is a summary of this, a summary statement of the gospel that is to be preached by the church today. Well, that leaves one additional question which we should briefly look at. This question. <coughs> to whom was this sermon addressed? I believe that there is only one possible answer to that question. Jesus preached the sermon and he addressed the sermon to all the people. The question is, who were they? Blessed are the poor in spirit, said Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, he said. Does that mean all who are poor or all who mourn? Of which people is Jesus speaking here? Oh yes, of whom does he speak? Well, clearly, Jesus is speaking to the people of the covenant. As a matter of fact, he's speaking to the people of the covenant about the people of the covenant. That means in the first place 
that Jesus is focusing on Israel. Remember, the nation of Israel was God's unique, his set-aside people. Israel was greatly blessed, and Israel had a great and awesome responsibility. The psalmist, for example, knew that. The Lord God, he said, has not dealt with any other nation as he has dealt with Israel. Oh, no. Matthew writes in the context of that covenantal relationship that becomes clear already from the opening chapter of his gospel, where he speaks of Jesus as the great king whom the Lord God had given to his covenant people. Well, now, Jesus preaches his Sermon on the Mount. In other words, now the great king addresses his people, the Lord's chosen and precious. He proclaims to them the treasures, the great and awesome wealth of his kingship, and he announces to them the law of the kingdom. Well, that tells us, you see, that for a good understanding of the Sermon on the Mount, it is important that we keep in mind that this sermon is specifically addressed to God's covenant people, Israel. And so by extension, it is specifically addressed to his covenant people today. That is, it is addressed to the church of the new covenant. To all of them, Jesus has blessed are the poor in spirit. The question is, what did he mean? What really did Jesus say here? It is, it is especially those last two words, the words in spirit, that appear confusing. Is Jesus saying here, that people who have come to experience how poor they are spiritually are the people who are blessed. In other words, is Jesus saying here, you, you are blessed if you have come to know that you are a poor sinner. Well, to be sure, many people have thought so. Such people read and understand the words in spirit as a phrase that describes the word poor. So they think that Jesus is really talking here about spiritual poverty. And they understand spiritual poverty to mean that you know, yes, that you confess that you are a poor, a miserable sinner who is so very much in need of God's grace. Well, now, people who believe that you must have an experiential knowledge of sin before you can really have the assurance of salvation, see, such people find that a very attractive understanding of this first beatitude. But there's one problem. You see, when you then turn to the gospel according to Luke, you will find that Luke does not include the words in spirit. 
at all. Luke simply writes, blessed are you poor. So if it is true that Matthew and Luke are talking about the same event, namely the Sermon on the Mount, which they are, and if it is true that they are recording the same message, namely the first beatitude, which is also true, then how are we to understand what Jesus really said here? You see, if it is to be understood that Jesus was really talking about spiritual poverty in the sense of a person really knowing that he is a poor sinner, that you cannot earn your own righteousness by your keeping of the law. If that is really what Jesus is saying here, then certainly Luke has done a poor job of recording Jesus' first beatitude. Think of it. Luke uses a very strong word when he talks about the poor. You see, the word used by Luke, as well as by Matthew for that matter, for the poor, is a word that originally meant beggar. But how was Theophilus? He is the man to whom Luke addressed his gospel, remember. Theophilus was a man from the upper class, and he was a Gentile. It is not known whether he ever became a Christian. But now, how was Theophilus? to understand what Luke was really meaning to say when he wrote, Blessed are the poor, if he did not mean to be talking about material poverty. Surely Theophilus, the aristocrat, um, reading a word that had always meant poor in the sense of beggarly poor, surely Theophilus was not going to think, my friend Luke, must he be talking about a person who knows himself to be spiritually poor? How could Theophilus possibly understand that Luke really meant to say here, blessed are those poor sinners who by the power of the Holy Spirit have come to see the light? You can be sure if that were really the meaning of the first beatitude, why then Luke's first readers from the Gentile world would surely have had a very difficult time getting, understanding that point. If you add to, the, that, to, uh, add to that the fact that Luke also adds a bit later these words of Jesus, but woe to you who are rich, then it is clear that Luke is understanding Jesus to be talking about financial poverty. But how then are we to read and understand the words of our text? Luke, as we heard, clearly talks about the poor, the beggars, and he meant exactly that. Luke wanted his readers to know that Jesus was talking about that large group of people who are the poor, the people who have little or no money, the people who are called the underprivileged, the people who have little or no opportunity to better their lot in life. 
There were many such people in Jesus' day, as indeed there are many such people still today. They were and they are the oppressed people. Soon after Pentecost, the church found itself feeding many such people, you may recall. Well, now, Jesus was talking about such oppressed people. But Jesus was not talking about all who are the poor in the land. You see, Jesus is not saying that all who are economically in distress are by virtue of that fact blessed. That is the message of the social gospel. That's the message of those who say that God is on the side of the poor. But that's not at all what Jesus is saying here. Think of it. Luke writes, Blessed are you poor, that is, Blessed are you, the disciples, the, the followers of the Savior, even though you are, or may be, or may become beggarly poor. You see, Luke wants his readers, the readers of his gospel, us today, to understand that Jesus was, and that he is addressing this word to the children of the covenant. He is saying, you, because you are my children, you are blessed, even though you may become or may be in very difficult financial circumstances. But if that is correct, then why does Matthew write, blessed are the poor in spirit? Well, Matthew is indeed saying what Luke says. That is, Matthew and Luke both understand the word Jesus uses here to be a reference to people who are very, very poor, financially speaking. But Matthew is not addressing Gentile readers, as Luke was. Matthew has Jewish readers in mind. So he writes in such a way that his meaning will become crystal clear for those Jewish readers of his gospel. <coughs> Why then those added words, in spirit? Why didn't Matthew simply write, the poor, as Luke has done? I see, that question, is, that question arises for us because we think that the words in spirit somehow limit or restrict the scope of Jesus' word. In other words, we say, oh, I get it. Jesus is not talking about all poor people. Neither is he talking about all kinds of poor people. You know, people of few talents or people with no connections or the like. Rather, we say, Jesus meant to talk only about poor people who are poor in spirit. That is, we say he is talking only about people who are the spiritually poor. A concept we then fill out with our particular theology. We say Jesus is limiting what he says here to people who have, who have experienced that kind of poverty. But there's one thing we, we get wrong here. 
because, you see, the words in spirit do not function in a restricting way, not at all. Rather, they reinforce. See, Matthew does not want us to think of people who are somehow rather spiritually poor, but financially perhaps well off. Not at all. You can be sure. Matthew has understood the words Jesus spoke very well. Matthew wants his readers, us, to know that he is talking, that Jesus is talking about people who are so very poor, financially, materially, that they have become spiritually distressed. They are people who have become altogether hopeless, listless, despondent, people whose eyes simply stare. For such people, you understand, their extreme poverty is more than only a material thing. It has become a spiritual problem for them. It has made them despondent. And then you see it. See, Matthew and Luke are indeed talking about the same thing, about the same people. But there is a, but there is a difference. Luke pictures the poor as to their external situation. They are poor and everybody can see it. Matthew, however, pictures those poverty-stricken people as to their inner condition. They are distressed. Their poverty is weighing down on them. Well now, so that is against that background, so you hear the word of this first beatitude. So you can understand the gospel as preached by Jesus here. See, what Jesus is saying here is this. People, come to me, your king, because people who come to me, the Savior, with all their needs, including their material needs, needs so great that they are pressing them down. Such people are blessed. Listen, he says to them, listen, you are blessed when you are mine. But why? How? Oh, to be sure, by grace, through faith. But remember now, is there a king who is speaking to them here? It is their king who assures them that they are heirs of his kingdom. He it is who incorporates them into his fellowship. He says to them, what is mine is yours. Ah, they are rich. Even though, materially speaking, they may be poverty-stricken at the present time. You see, there is still the question of the application. What is the application here? That is, what do we, what concretely must we do with this word of Jesus? Ah, you see, the other understanding about spiritual poverty made the application rather easy. We all, ah yes, we must all become spiritually poor. 
That is, you and I must know, must come to know, must strive to know that we are poor, miserable sinners. And people, church people, hearing that, nod their heads. Right, they say, I must come to know the greatness of my sin and misery. And no church member could possibly argue against that. But about what are we to do now? If it is true that Jesus is not at all addressing the question of something called spiritual poverty here, but is talking about physical or material poverty, must I say to you this morning, we must all strive for material poverty? Must I say, you are blessed if and when you are poor? No, not really. Though it is true that a lot of money is needed for the kingdom of our Lord, and though it is certainly true that a lot of Christians could give a lot more before it really began to hurt them. But that's not at all the point of this text. To be sure, Jesus is not saying either that the rich have no responsibility toward the poor. As we know, many people, also the church, have embraced such ideas. Then the poor are kept poor. Then they are told that they must learn to be content with their lot in life, and all will be, by, will be well in the sweet by and by. Understandably, Marx revolted against such thinking and practice as he saw it condoned by the churches of his day. But what Jesus is here saying is, all who are poor and desolate and consequently are in spiritual distress all such who come to know him, who have life in him, who belong to his body, the church, all such are blessed. They are blessed today already, and they will be blessed forever because they are heirs, heirs of the gift of life that is life eternal. Well, now. That should give us perspective for our thinking on all manner of welfare programs. See, there can be no question that there are many poor who need to be ministered to by us. The church has usually recognized that. That is why the church maintains a diaconal ministry. But the prevailing idea in North America today that motivates people's concern for the plight of the poor is misleading, is false. You ask why? Well, because their thinking is a contradiction and therefore a denial of this word of Jesus. See, the North American says, blessed are the rich, for they have it made. And people, also the church, think of men like Hagen and Benny Hinn. Yes, all kinds of people get caught up in that kind of thinking. And it is that line of thinking that then becomes the motivator for giving. People want more and more and better. And the children 
our children too, the children hear it and they see it in action, in our action. And this North American gospel is broadcast throughout the world. Salvation, it says, salvation is to be found in none other than in material well-being. And Jesus' word, his first beatitude word, is ignored. His message is obsolete. Goods are being offered without the gospel. The first beatitude doesn't really cut it anymore. Well, now, you know that the world cannot understand the word of Jesus since it has derisively rejected him. But it is also too often true that the church doesn't really understand Jesus' word either. Then the church spiritualizes it. It takes off the sharp edges. It is more comfortable, more convenient also that way. But Jesus, who will not so much as permit a comma to fall from his word, Jesus says, it is true. Blessed are the poor, even the desperately poor, if indeed they belong to the company of my people. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, yes, theirs is the life that is life eternal. He keeps on saying that to all who love him, who draw their life from him, who serve him with, with whatever they have and are. And they, yes, they may know it for sure. We are blessed today and forever. Praise the Lord. Amen.